0: Mayor Andre Dickens' first year on the job. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein. If you're just listening to us for the first time, welcome. We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share Politically Georgia with a friend. Uh, this past year, we took Politically Georgia on the road doing a live show with a live audience and made for a really special evening, and our listeners loved it. We want to do it again in 2023, but if you missed that show, our special guest was Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens. We're going to share that show with you here as a special encore presentation of the Politically Georgia podcast. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
1: are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop.
2: Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop.
1: 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop.
0: And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy and we are two of the political insiders at the AJC. We're also here to welcome a very special guest. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens is in the crowd today. Yes.
2: Hi, welcome.
1: Good to be here. This is great. This is like improv. (laughs) You
2: can hold your jokes for the end, sir. sir. (laughs) As long as they're about laundry. Okay, all right. Um, well, Mayor Dickens, thank you so much for joining us on our inaugural um, live edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. We wanna start off with a question about politics because we know it's something you know a little bit about. And we're gonna ask you about a political um, event that I know Atlantans are trying to bring here, including you. Give us an update on what's happening with bringing the DNC here to Atlanta.
1: Oh, my goodness. This is a, a big goal of mine, is to bring the DNC to Atlanta in 2024. Um, Atlanta played a huge role. Georgia played a huge role in the 2020 election. And we want to make sure that the Democratic National Convention chooses us over the other three cities. So they've made it down to the last uh, four, which is uh, Atlanta, Houston, Chicago, and New York. And you know how we feel about the rest of them. So we want it here. Uh, we love them, but. We want to be the ones who win this uh, convention. They, they've come. They've done their site selections. We put on a good show for them. We showed them how we would host the convention, how we would make sure that we are activating all of the spaces around the convention center, around State Farm Arena, all the hotel rooms, plus uh, Centennial Olympic Park will be open for uh, the the public to be able to go. Not just delegates. And we have a pretty affordable uh, hotel rate, and and we have the world's busiest airport that people can get in and out of. They're telling me that we're in the top two and they're saying it's between us and Chicago so any shade you can throw on Chicago over the next <laughs> <laughs> two months and not make them you know know that it's us that's throwing the shade uh, you will help me out a whole lot and help us get this convention and it's an important thing for the Democratic National Convention to and what I'm saying to them is when you invest in Georgia Good things happen for Democrats. When you invest in Georgia, you end up with, you know, uh, Biden being president who won by you know, 11,000 votes. And a lot of those 11,000 votes happened at State Farm Arena, which was the largest voting precinct in the nation. And Donald Trump is still looking for those votes right now. <laughs> so tell us about the
0: behind the scenes of trying to convince White House officials, Democratic officials, because I know you were up with President Biden just a few weeks ago to celebrate the World Series you were there to celebrate but you're also you know talking to folks you're you're also selling Atlanta while you're there
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tell you that that's a part of the job I had not even thought about. I'm such a technocrat as an engineer. I'm like, I go in the job, I do the work, and we try to solve the problems of the city. And then people say, well, when you're in D.C., you got to check all these boxes. you got to meet this person, this person, this group, this group. you got to make sure you continue to be the ambassador for the city. Well, you know, the Braves won, so I'm up there for the Braves thing, uh, the big commendation that the White House gives you for winning the World Series, which is going to happen again. Um, And, yep. Today, you know, we just practice. So, <laughs> then, you know, but I get up there and I do want to. I talk to Biden. I talk to Keisha Lance Bottoms, the former mayor, who is also representing the White House. And I talk to White House officials, and I tell them. You know, please select Atlanta. And this, the you know, the technical aspects, we've won, I think. We, we've shown them that we can do it. Now it's the politics, it's the whisper campaign, it's that we want it in the South. Um, Chicago has a governor uh, who's very wealthy, and he's like, I'll fund the whole thing. And the mayor of Atlanta can't fund. Your meals right now, you know. So, so there's a big difference between what we're saying. We're gonna do it the grassroots way. We're gonna raise money from Democrats. We're gonna to put the, together some packages, and that's how we're gonna get there. We've done it before. We did the Olympics that way with with business community and residents, and we'll do the, you know the DNC the same way. We've never not raised the money for any major event. So that's the kind of conversations. Are I've there had with private
0: fund- funding commitments already lined up?
1: Yeah, there's 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 a substantial amount of private funding from um, from individuals Donors that are you know high net worth individuals around Georgia around the south around Atlanta and then there's some corporate dollars that are really interested in making sure we have that convention
2: and whose arms are you having to twist who makes the final call.
1: So the final call will be from President Biden. Um, that that's where it all ends, and so you're, you know, we look at his circle of influence from um, Vice President Harris to you know the various uh, campaign managers that he has and the advisors he has, um, his friends and allies, of course. And, and again, I can't under, under, understate a um, great, uh, you know, former Mayor Keisha Lance Baum. She sits like within yards of the president's office. Um, so I, when I went to the White House, I was like, Keisha, let me see your office, you know. <laughs> and then she's like, You want to come see it? Yeah. I went, I went walking through her office. She was happy to show it to me. And, um, and I was like, is Biden over there? you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you just try to make sure you stay present. And, 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 and he mentioned my name when the brain's there. And so just knowing that Atlanta has good things and it didn't hurt. And so when things happen, like Money Magazine says that Atlanta is the best city in the United States to live. <laughs> when they do that, we send them cool things with DNC logos all over it. We put together creatives that says, don't you want the convention to be in the best place? So we have a team that's together that's just pumping them with Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta.
0: One last question about the DNC. What would it mean for the city of Atlanta if it gets this convention?
1: Yeah, it once again solidifies that we are a, a, an important political state that Georgia matters, that it's not just red uh, and that's how it's going to stay. It could be blue, it could be purple, um, blue or red, it could swing. So it matters, which means that you have to come here and communicate to Georgians. We don't want people writing us off. When they write you off, they don't make the investments that they need to to occupy your attention, to um, cater to your needs. So we want to be a state that has influence. And so when the DNC makes an investment here, uh, like the convention, and all these, you know, national figures will be here. Not only will they, you know, show that you know Georgia, Atlanta is on the map politically, but they'll want to host other events here, various conventions that are not even Democratic national conventions, but other things, and you know that there'll be all kinds of. Um, You know, uh, sponsors that will come and they'll say, okay, I see Atlanta as a place I can invest, an innovation hub or a a, a headquarters or a regional office and those type of things. So, um, 1988 was the last time we had the convention here, and I think we're due to have another one.
2: Okay, so that's the that's one of the jobs you're working on. Um, One of the first things you had to deal with after you got elected was the already kind of galloping effort to create a new Buckhead City. And we heard from Speaker David Ralston, who is a Republican, that at seven o'clock the morning after your election, his phone rang, and it was you. Tell us about how you approached the Buckhead City movement. And tell us where you see it right now because we know that they're going to come back with another bill next session.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's important to me that all of Atlanta uh, stays whole. That when I say one city with one bright future, uh, this comes from my heart. This comes from a place of me being born and raised in Atlanta. You know, my neighborhood that I grew up in and the neighborhood I live in now were annexed around the same year that Buckhead was annexed into the city in the 50s. So modern Atlanta looks like what we have right here, Um, you know. And so when we grow together, we got to stay together. And just because... Recent times have made people feel like, hey, you know, we we deserve something better, or um, we're not happy with what has happened at Linux, or this thing that that thing happened. Um, and then the political lens has changed. Um, you know, this 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 you know, Republican versus Democrat thing. I saw it as, you know, I'm now the mayor, and I get to share with people who I've been my whole life as inclusive. Um, I hate I, I hate it. Not I mean, whenever I'm excluded, I, I really you know feel feel uh, feel left out. I feel, you know, unseen. And so I don't want anybody ever to feel like that, so I'm being as inclusive as possible. So, you know, Speaker Rawson, I called him 7 in the morning. You know, Jeff Duncan called him 7 in the morning. You know, um, same same with uh, Kemp. And they all were like, wow, thank you. It's good to hear from you. Congratulations, mayor. You're going to be good. You're going to be a good mayor. And and then they said, you know, let's sign up. Let's set a meeting. So not only, we, we had a phone call, and we came back with a meeting. And each one of them had their thoughts, and their issues and I wrote them down and I said, okay, I can tackle that. That actually is a ghost. That's not real. Um, you know, you guys have talked to yourselves enough to create a ghost and that's not real. So let me go ahead on and show you that that's a ghost and let's deal with what's real. And that's part of politics. That's part of it. People are walking around with ideas that we're going to do this in Buckhead. We were, we were not about that. And then I said no, that's never come out of my mouth. Um, you know, so there were some things that we had to do, crime, had to make sure garbage was picked up on time each week, had to make sure you know we we, we serviced the you know potholes, that we picked up the phone that we had, people at City Hall actually working, all those things, and, and that we hired good people. And now they see it, and what went from, it was about 65% of the people in Buckhead said they would vote to have a new city. Now, that's turned completely the other way. We're up in the high 60s for people that want to stay in the city of Atlanta if they were a bucket. Yeah. And the state recognized that, and the state said, we don't want to deal deal with that. Um, that would be the first time ever that they de-annexed a place allowed a de-annexation and of course when those de-annexations happen i mean if it was to happen it would be the you know the more affluent financially part of the city saying we want to be separated that doesn't sit well
0: I i have a quick side question before i get to my real question but um back to back lieutenant governor duncan and then speaker ralston both nixed this idea i texted you saying this was news, you pretended to be, it seemed like you were shocked by the news, but did you actually already know?
1: Well, I- um, <laughs> I've just always been curious. <laughs> no, I, I, here's the honest moment. I don't, I, I just keep working until it's actually the ink is dry. So I didn't take, you know, you get off the phone with them and they say stuff like, you know, mayor, you know, uh, you, you've come up here, We, you, you did those 400 steps you talked about, I walked across the street every single week, sometimes twice in a day, um, to go across to the Gold Dome. You
2: did. I did. Okay, that that is relevant because there has long been a tension between the Capitol and the mayor's office about who would walk across the street yeah. to go to the yep. other person's office. So you have been going to the Capitol. Yes, I can, okay. I
1: can. you know, that the Capitol is a maze. It's a crazy place, but I walked over there enough that I can say, I know where the governor's office is. I know where the lieutenant governor's office is. I know where the speaker's office is. Mm-hmm. I know each one of their admins. That's, and I sit out there like everybody else. I sit in the waiting room, wait for my time um humbly ask them for an opportunity to speak they they, you know of course they you know they allow it but at the same time I I, I treat their house like it's their house and then when they come over here you know they, they you know the lieutenant governor has sat in my office we've taken you know a good time to meet you know I sat with the folks that were a part of the Buckhead City bill and I've done that in their office and in my office and we sat down and we said now what I heard you say on TV was, this was an issue, this was an issue, this is an issue, and now this is no longer an issue, this is no longer an issue, this is no longer an issue. So what you got left? <laughs> and they'll say, um, well, this guy said this thing. This certain guy that likes to say certain things. I said, well, you know, that's a, again, that's a ghost. That's not real. Um, and they'll say, okay, let me follow back up. Let me go back over here. And they call me back and they'll say, yeah, that's not real. I say, are you with? Are you okay with giving me a year to prove this? And they gave me, a, and they said, I'll give you a year, but I didn't know for sure until they actually did it and you texted me. Like you texted me too, you, you keep texting me things that I, that, that now I know is real. You Breaking know? news. Breaking news.
0: <laughs> um, well, Mayor, my, my main question was, you talk about working with Republican Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, Republican Speaker David Ralston, Republican Governor Brian Kemp. We know that Nathan Deal had, a, had this fab- fabled friendship with your former, one of your predecessors, Kasim Reed. Yes. We know that Kemp did not have this great relationship with your other predecessor, Keisha Lance Bottoms. How do you navigate these relationships at a time when Georgia is as polarized, as divided as ever, right before a midterm election?
1: Yeah, it's tough. And I was um, front seat watching both of those because I was on city council when Kasim was there for his second term. And I was on city council the entire time of Keisha's term, Keisha Bottoms. So I watched how they dealt with each other differently. And, you know, Kasim did come from you know the state house he worked he was at the state house and he was at the state senate so he knew how that uh, how how they horse traded he knew you know who needed what and all these things um it i have a great uh, intergovernmental affairs person uh King Mitchell she takes me over there she helps me understand and it's a confusing place. If you don't have someone that's gonna hold your hands, have the same, you know, you know, mentality, and I set and I set clear objectives and clear goals. I mean, that comes from my business background. If you don't, you know, if you don't measure it, it doesn't get met. So I'm like, this is our objective. This is what we're trying to do. So if you're lining me up a meeting, I'm going in there and I'm trying to get these things done by the end of that meeting. And she's like, got it. And she clearly, you know, drives me to that success. But it's a confusing place. I didn't know that. I mean, you could, the state, like the city council, you meet on one week in a committee. And then the next week, you meet as a full council and you vote and things happen. And I'll be like, okay, good. We got that thing uh, nailed out of this thing. She's like, no, no, no. Any day they can do this to your bill. At the last minute. At the last minute. And I said, well, it's not, it's, just no. They can add, that language can go in their bill about you know, food. Like, wait a minute, how can Buckhead City be in a bill about food? Like, well, we can write it in there in some kind of way. So uh, I say all, say all that to say um, <laughs> that I know I was not the most knowledgeable about state um you know, all those various minutiae details of how they operate. So I went in there clear minded what my objectives on behalf of the citizens of Atlanta were and knowing that I needed a, you know, a a shepherd to get me through those processes. And, you know, and then our, you know, team would go to work and then these guys started calling me and texting me various you know, they wanted my number and wanted to talk to me and whenever they had it and they would I would I would just pick up the phone and talk to any, you know, state rep state senator. um, Of course, our federal partners were all listening. You know, Nakima Williams, um, Ossoff and Warnock, all those folks were really making sure that we were heard uh, nationally that if this was to happen, think about the precedent it was set across the nation.
0: This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta (laughs) Journal-Constitution. Welcome back to the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We think the morning jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community now, right now, by going to subscribe.ajc.com podcasts, and your first month of unlimited digital access is less than a dollar. It's just 99 cents. That subscribe. That ajc.com/podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Is that any? Is that mantra anywhere here? No, we have live and we have press on. But you you always know what's really going on is our other spiel. So we like it
2: we do we like it a lot Um, let's change gears a little bit to a challenge that i know your office is currently dealing with and that's the atlanta medical center and news that it is going to close our information was that you had not even been given a heads up that that would happen um how is that possible that they would not (laughs) tell you all that um and What effect do you think that's going to have? I know some steps have been taken to try and um, ameliorate the immediate effects, but what do you think that means for the city right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, what's crazy is I used to like Wellstar. (laughs) 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 I used to like Wellstar um, as an organization. I was happy when they came to the city to take over um, Georgia Baptist from Tenant Properties and i was there at their grand opening i spoke at their grand opening excitedly saying that a big operator with a you know a network would be great for this population that goes to this hospital and i thought they would upgrade the hospital to be a hospital of choice you know the goal is that we shouldn't have the indigent care hospital that looks like the, indigent, you know, the, the we should have the hospital be a hospital that all of us would want to go to and that they also have provisions for people who can't pay. That's what quality, fair, affordable health care should look like. And I thought they were going to be providing that. And so then I get a call like 10, 30, 11 saying, hey, Mayor, can we talk? I'm like, yeah. What, you know, uh, give me about thirty minutes. I get out of this thing. I call him eleven thirty. What's going on? We got some news um, around after lunch. We're gonna let our employees know that in sixty days we're going to shut down. So I got the news about eleven thirty. The employees were gonna get the news after lunch or during lunch or something like that. That sixty days are gonna. And then and I found out that the governor got the news maybe the night before. Or not much more than my time. Um, and that hurt that they would not tell us. And so they say from business reasons, you know, you don't want to tell it and then everybody just start walking out the door. I said, well, the minute you announced it, everybody walked out the door anyway, they started looking for other jobs. But you're not, you're not a McDonald's that just closes and we figure out where else we're gonna eat. You're a level one trauma center. So there's a, a, a substantial responsibility to humanity that you have to provide and you just didn't do that. And so that made me, you know, really unhappy with them as an organization. It makes me, you know, sad for what that means. I'll give you one, you know, somebody was in an incident and they took their friends to the place and they're not receiving people for that service anymore. And, you know, October 15th, they're going to stop their. Um, ER. So, it's not November 1st. I, October 15th, which is tomorrow or so, or, or Friday, it, it, they're stopping ER. And they've stopped other things. Ambulance services stopped October 1st. So, you know, Grady, thankfully, is resilient. You know, Emory, um, Piedmont, and they're picking up some of the slack. But... but you know, no doubt that this is uh, this is hard to deal with. So today, I had a huge meeting. Four hours, I sat with uh, everybody from Grady, Morehouse School of Medicine, Emory. Piedmont and the other providers um, that uh, that are in this network, and we mapped out what our communication plan is. Who's going to take over which services um, in the short term, and then what our goal is for an ultimate care network for people um, across the metro region, particularly in Atlanta and the Cab. How do we make sure that what's the, where do we where do we want to go from here? And I spent four hours with them, and then I'm going to spend on Thursday about three hours with elected officials around this region about what that, those four hours said we needed and so financially how do we fund where we're we going so i'm trying to take this systematically with all the voices in the room the people that know better and then we come up with a better better mousetrap
0: so you talked about the local and the uh, corporate response yeah. from the healthcare but what about what the state can do you know the governor announced a, a cash infusion of more than 100 million dollars for Grady but what else can the state I know one of the answers but what beyond expanding medicaid and you can say that as well yeah. but should the state do to help uh, relieve the burden
1: so here's something that's pretty cool when i was in when i was in dc last week I think it was last week. This life is crazy now. Last week, <laughs> I was in Ossoff's office, and we were talking. He was all about AMC. What are we gonna do, Mayor? What are, What are you doing? Here's what I heard. Here's so he's personally engaged in this. Oh my gosh, he's personally engaged in it. Warnock's personally engaged in it. They, you know, Warnock calls me every other week or so. Ossoff calls me every other, you know, every week or so. I mean, one is campaigning right now, so he can't do as much. But the other is really invested in it, and and so I did what you just said. Which is, and and the state, the governor uh, gave $130 million to Grady to get 184 beds. He said the governor gave ARPA money, which is American Rescue Plan money that the Democrats passed. The Biden administration made that money available to states. For this reason, and that was what we thought they would be using this money for two year, you know, a year and a half ago when we approved this money. He was like, so the governor just gave you the money we gave the governor. And I was like, all right, yes, sir, Mr. Senator, sir, <laughs> you're right. From now on, I won't say the state gave us money. I'll make sure I add the whole context to it so that you see how decisions get made if you did not have Ossoff or Warnock or both. You would not have this American Rescue Plan money, which you would not have this 130 million dollars that could then go uh, help Grady be able to get 184 beds. This all is connected, and so yeah, as Ossoff would say, I did that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that is a perfect segue to my next question about politics because um, Ossoff and Warnock were both elected in 2021 and runoffs. So we now have a. Uh, gigantic election year upon us right now. Um, as a Democrat who's not up for election right now, how do you see um, the field? How do you see the engagement, especially among Democrats? Because Keisha Lance Bottoms at the end of last week said she is disappointed in what she's saying. She doesn't feel that same kind of um, excitement. She doesn't feel the same kind of engagement or urgency that she saw just last year among Democrats. What are you seeing?
1: Yeah, I actually just read that and and, and saw that uh, she was saying that. I mean, you know, she has her own personal lens. I mean, she's going back and forth between D.C. and and Atlanta to serve the federal government and work for President Biden. So maybe she's not seeing a lot of the activity on the ground, um, and maybe it's not bubbling up. But I but I feel like you know we're you know people are, are pumped up, they're excited. You know, the the TV ads here are like crazy all day, every day. Uh, radio ads are crazy all day. Now you know, pretty soon. our mailbox is going to be filled with everything and the text messages and all that. Uh, We're going to have to get out and get the ground game going, though. I mean, seriously, the door knocking, the uh, making sure people, all well-intentioned people actually don't get, you know, um, miss the appointments and, you know, go out of town on Election Day. You know, you got to get these people out to early voting. So then on Election Day, we're just grabbing everybody that, you know, hasn't voted yet. So I think... Um, You know, uh, Democrats are fired up. I think they know what's on the line. I think we know uh, that we um, have a chance to win this. Um, You know, it is crucial. um, As you heard what I just said about the American Rescue Plan money, it is crucial that Warnock um, is reelected from my lens. Uh, as the mayor of the city of Atlanta, think about all of the American Rescue Plan money, all of the infrastructure dollars that we've received right now is because we have two young, energetic senators along with a, a congresswoman uh, and a congress team that cares about Metro Atlanta. Those things are important to stabilize and make sure they get reelected. And then, of course, at the top of the ticket, the governor. This all matters, having a great relationship. Um, so getting out and voting and making sure people know that it's uh, voting time uh, because it's not presidential and we don't have a big bad guy to vote against. Um, that, you know, has made some people think it's not as, um, but I believe that, um, you know, people are going to do what ne- uh, they're, they're, uh, that's what's needed to be done.
0: Let me ask you about polls because a number of the polls about your race, not quite accurate. I think you were 17th in one of the polls. Yeah, um,
1: <laughs> that was four percent, which, yeah, something crazy. Yeah, so it
0: turns out. Um, but you know, we have a number of polls. The AJC actually had a plug. We have a, a poll coming out tomorrow on the top races, Senate, governor, all the statewide races, and a number of issues coming out in your paper tomorrow morning and online. Um, but a number of polls have showed Democrats in real trouble, with the exception. Of Senator Warnock, who's kind of neck and neck with Herschel Walker, um, who's a whole another story. Um, How? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll ask you about that too. I'm
1: scared for the world. <laughs> Sorry. I'm... No, uh, it's a podcast. So I'm having fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're. Actually, let's go there. I mean, Herschel Walker. Do you expect to campaign with Senator Warnock? And and answer that question you just asked. Why do you think Herschel is still neck and neck with some someone like Senator Warnock?
1: It's all about national politics. That's what that is about. They, they will put anybody that says they're a Republican that has a chance to with name recognition up against Warnock or anybody. It's just really about preserving national politics to get one less vote. 49-51 changes everything. 50-50, you have Kamala Harris, who is the tiebreaker, changes everything. Um, and so that it matters. And so if you have football as king in the south and Herschel Walker played it and did a good job playing football and that's the end of where the good job that he's done goes. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't proven himself in business, hasn't proven himself in civics, hasn't proven himself in, you know, in community, hasn't proven himself of course politically. And there, you know the ads are true that he really did, you know, um, You know, it was a domestic violence basket case. So we can't reward that in a society that's trying to promote peace, uh, equality, you know, opportunity, and to have that be the tagline for Georgia. Um, I, I, you know, it's unconscionable that a man that has, you know, that's been a pastor for decades, has a doctorate, uh, has been the most bipartisan, he's been very bipartisan, Warnock has been very bipartisan in certain things, helpful, and, you know, knowledgeable, good guy, is in a, in a, is in a fight, a dog fight, against somebody that we really wouldn't trust a number of other business opportunities to. And the federal government is humongous decision-making. And, and we're going to hand it, we're going to be, we're neck and neck.
0: So are yeah. you going to hit the campaign trail with Stacey Abrams, Senator Warnock, or do you have to kind of play it closer to the vest because you need to keep, uh, you know, closer ties with Republicans in the State House?
1: Well, I pick and choose the events based on my calendar, to be honest. I mean, I, 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 uh, I've been to like three or four events for Stacey and Warnock. Um, and, you know, my, Team, So, you know, I have a, a campaign team, a squad of people that get things done. They are deployed, helping them in various ways. Um, and, you know, whenever I'm needed to make a phone call to pump something up or to find a funder or, uh, you know, something that's necessary to um, swing a consideration, then I do that. But I, I honestly don't, you know, have enough time to go down you know, get on the bus and go down state, and then come back up as as readily as I would like to be able to have that flexibility. Right now, the city has a whole lot going on. AMC, you know, is 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 one of them to name a few. It, it's just a, you know, I'm still hiring up my people. I got interviews like every other day for commissioners and things of that nature. So, um, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm I'm vocal in it. We we talk through strategy and things of that nature. But um, I haven't like. You know going to- I actually did went to Columbus I was about to say I haven't gone to Columbus I went to Columbus with them <laughs> um, well pick another place I haven't gone to Augusta with them, but, but uh at Metro Atlanta, you know I've been around
2: okay well, I know that we're going to have to let you go in just a little bit, but tell us what else we're going to see from you coming up
1: Well, um you know just trying to you know put, put old you know old problems at bay Forest Cove thomasville Heights those. Those, uh, those horrible uh, apartments, making sure that those families got moved and now gonna redevelop them. Um, more affordable housing, um, more, you know, a lot of the projects that we have related to the uh, infrastructure bond. We're now about to get our money to be able to do that from the bond, the actual financial products to be able to go out there and start doing the road paving and the uh, parks and stuff. Um, and, you know, we're, we're actually. Uh, doing a lot with training, you know, start trying to get upward mobility. Uh, there's two, tell of two cities, a city of a lot of prosperity and a city of a lot of poverty. And so I believe in the ability to train and upskill people. So you're going to see a lot from me and my connections with, you know, my former employer, Tech Bridge and Atlanta Technical College and a lot of these places to be able to get low-income people skills to get great jobs, um, which is going to be important going into this recession, potential recession or what have you. So a lot of things that are going to Look like um, you know folks uh, improving their lives uh, from a development standpoint. We're going to start moving on Civic Center real soon. Um, uh, Bowen Homes uh, on the west side. Um, so you're going to see development that has a mission uh, to it, with affordability as a as a as a requirement, um, so that we don't have people displaced in our city. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, and, and oh, uh, I'll be uh, making some announcements about um, senior technology advisor, which is a role that I'm bringing on to help us, you know, continue to capture all this tech. Uh, prowess that we have—we got Salesforce, Microsoft, Google, um, you know, you name it. NCR, and the list goes on. They're all bringing hubs here, but that's not the end of it. We have local startups that we have to continue to uh, find capital to invest in, to attract the VCs, to attract the talent, to retain the talent that's coming out of Georgia Tech, Georgia State, you know, AUC, and and SCAD. And so, you're gonna just see us. Tr- I'm, I'm trying to form an ecosystem—the blocking and tackling of of trying to stop Buckhead City. That, you know, crime is down 12% in Buckhead. I hope they feel it. You know, we're working hard. There hasn't been an incident at Lennox in 10 months. There hasn't been a violent incident at Lennox or Phipps Plaza, and 1 million to 1.5 million people go into those malls every month. One to one and a half million people go into those malls every single month, and we have not had a violent incident you know, that meaning a shooting, a rob, you know, a mugging, a, a, a carjacking, those kind of things. It has not happened. Now we got a lot of you know, police there. We got visibility, you know. So I guess I'm trying to articulate, you know, the blocking and tackling is is is, is you know, I'm doing the operational excellence part. We're trying to get, you know, people, you know, through our process better, uh, financials paid, all those kind of things. Just doing the job. Now I'm going for the gusto. I'm going for the beloved community. I'm going for what tie, the, the ties that bind us, the thing that's brings us together, the the things that make us really, uh, we, you know, where even Atlantans will call us the best city in the in the United States to live. You know, <laughs> uh, half of y'all was like, mm, yeah, but mm, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I saw you and you're like, I, I know we're good, but man, it's kind of like a pothole here or there, it's kind of. <laughs> got this hospital that just closed you know <laughs> you know I, kinda, I see you but I want you to believe it I want you to feel it I want everybody to believe it and feel it
0: mayor thank you so much for joining us yeah. thank you thank you so much for coming that's going to do it for this episode of politically georgia podcast we so appreciate all of you listening every Wednesday and every Friday or whenever news breaks and a big thanks to our fantastic audience, you guys. Thank you so much for showing up. And special thanks to Manuel's Tavern for having us. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
2: I'm Ernie Suggs,
0: race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
2: And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist.